global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet, just getting word from Washington that James Donovan has withdrawn as Deputy Treasury Secretary, again withdrawing his nomination as Deputy U.S. Treasury Secretary. Equities higher, best level of the day right now on the S&P, up 22 points to 2388, up by 1%. The Dow up 186 points, up 9 tenths of 1%. NASDAQ higher by 49, up 8 tenths of 1%. Gold up $1 the ounce now to 12.53, up about 1 tenth of 1%. West Texas Intermediate Crude holding above $50 a barrel, 50.33 on WTI. Ahead of next week's OPEC meeting, crude oil higher now by 2%. I'm Charlie Pellet, and that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Charlie Pellet, thank you so much. You are listening to Bloomberg Markets. It is 1148 in the Bay Area and 248 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Ramesh Panuru, a columnist for Bloomberg View. Roger Ailes, the man who made Fox News, has died at a time of turmoil for his network. Turmoil caused both by his flaws and by his success. Fox News was always nationalist, at least as much as it was conservative. It was a network for people who wanted anchors who wore flag pins. Ailes knew what his audience wanted. Donald Trump became president by following a similar formula. Now Fox is paying a price. It is slipping in the ratings among the prime-age viewers advertisers most want to reach. The network's dilemma is that the president is unpopular in general, but highly popular with its core audience. That dilemma seems to be driving the network's news coverage. When the Washington Post reported that Trump may have pressured former FBI director James Comey to go easy on Trump's former aide Michael Flynn, CNN and MSNBC went all in on the story. Fox downplayed it. It's one thing for Fox to break from the journalistic herd. It's another to quit covering the news. The political success of Ailes has left Fox vulnerable to that temptation. I'm Ramesh Panuru. For more view, please go to BloombergView.com or view Go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. And Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard every weekday at this time, also at 5.48 a.m., 8.48 a.m. and 11.48 a.m. Wall Street time, right here on Bloomberg Radio. talk about big movers of the day when we see stocks of drugs approved or, or uh, new inventions of, or trials even of, of experimental drugs. But uh, the notion of gene therapy, something we talked about when we were in Boston last week, Carol, uh, is a fascinating one. Uh, and a company that's making big progress there is Sangamo Therapeutics, right across the San Francisco Bay here from me in Richmond, California. Dr. Sam D. McRae, the CEO of the company, joins us right now. And uh, uh, there have been no uh, genetic uh, therapy programs approved yet, but uh, talk to me what Sangam was working on and, and how close you guys are, Dr. McRae. Good afternoon. Uh, I think this is a very exciting time for gene therapy. Um, we're working on um, gene therapy for hemophilia A uh, in partnership with Pfizer, and we're working on two rare diseases, hunters and hurlers disease in hemophilia B, as gene editing, where in some very exciting science, we're able to recognize parts of the DNA and drop a new copy of a gene into a, a safe space in the patient's liver. And Dr. McCray, just for those folks out there, and I'm sure most people are familiar, but I mean, gene therapy on its basic level, it's, it's experimental at this point, but it would be, you know, letting doctors treat some, treat, treat some kind of disorder by inserting a gene into a patient's cells instead of using drugs or surgery. It's like using your own genetic makeup to fight whatever ails you, basically. 
Absolutely. As, as we now understand the sequence of the genome and we have the tools and information to be able to manipulate it, we can safely and prudently put um, uh, food copies of genes into patients and, and help them, give them the choice to replace or, or replenish genes that aren't working as well. How does that happen functionally? What, what, what are you doing to the gene and how do you reintroduce it to the body? So we, we use uh, an adeno-associated virus, so we package it within a virus similar to what you get from the common cold or flu. And that virus then goes into the body and, and infects the cells in the liver. Within the liver, it releases our gene therapy, and that gene therapy goes to the nucleus of the cell where it's produced, or in the case of sangamol, what we can do is we can stitch that into the patient's own DNA so that they have a permanent copy making the gene and making its product and giving the patient uh, a, a cure, in, in essence, for, for their ailment. And we should put out that there, there haven't been any gene therapy products approved in the U.S. so far. Um, where are you guys in this process? So we've just opened uh, our third clinical trial, and we have the fourth one will open in this quarter. And that's at the early stages of phase one, two, where we, what you're trying to understand is the safety of the, of the product and get a feel of what doses are, are the right ones to take forward. But I think this is um, the most exciting time for gene therapy. Both Sangamo and several other companies are just at the stage of testing these in patients. And we could be on the, the cusp of some very fundamental changes in, in how we address disease and, and the options that we have for patients. And you have this new partnership with Pfizer, which sort of, among other things, not that you needed credibility, but it certainly lends uh, um, uh, to the notion that you guys are really close. Talk to me about the deal with Pfizer. Yes, yeah, so we were delighted to um, work with Pfizer in this. Pfizer is a great company. They, they already have a hemophilia franchise. And so when they saw the results from our preclinical work, which suggests that we might have the best-in-class product, it was a, a partnership made in heaven. They, they, of course, brought us money and funding, but what they do have the appeal to us is they have a similar view of the importance of the patient and the importance of the science and how it has to be developed carefully and prudently. So we're very excited with this, and we're looking forward to working with Pfizer. And for Why, he, oh, sorry, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Corey. Why hemophilia? I, mean, I, I have a personal interest in it, but I, I, it really struck me. But why hemophilia of all uh, conditions that might be affected by gene therapy? Well, I think the reason people are looking at hemophilia is it's easy to measure the effect of what you do. So you can measure the factor the, that you've placed in the blood, and there's a very good correlation between the amount of factor that you create through the gene therapy and the benefit to the patient. So if you can bring their factor levels up to some 5 to 50% of normal, you will resolve the condition and the patient won't have bleeding episodes. And so it's, it's a condition we know a lot about. It's a condition that is very expensive for the patient to treat normally, two to $400,000 a year for some patients. Oh my God. And, it's one, and it's one where if you give them this once and done treatment, it should resolve their condition and give them a long, a long-lasting benefit. So I want to reiterate, we're right at the cusp. It's the, it's the very first studies that are being done both by us and other companies. But it offers a solution for patients whose life is dominated by the illness. We had hemophilic patients in to visit us recently, and they described how 
it's easy, it's easy enough to imagine treating an adult, but imagine holding a one-year-old or a two-year-old child and trying to find access to inject the, the factor into them. And the, the patients and their parents are really excited by the, the coming cures. So if I may, just in terms of timing, um, as you said, one and done, uh, and then hopefully it, it treats a patient, how much would that one and done treatment cost? And you said you're in phase one and two, so realistically, when might this potentially get to market? And just got about 40 seconds, please. I, I think we're looking between us and other companies, we're talking in the next five years to have them in market. And the, the pricing is complicated more complicated than 40 seconds. But overall, it should be much cheaper to the patient than a lifetime of $400,000 a year. Uh, just amazing and uh, just incredible development science and, and one that's really going to change the lives, uh, should it all work out, really change the lives of lots of people. So cool stuff. Uh, Dr. Sandy McRae uh, joining us on the phone from Richmond, California, right across the San Francisco Bay from us here at AM 960 Studios here in San Francisco. He's the CEO of a company called Sangamo. You know, it troubles me, though, that he says, you know, drug pricing. I understand it takes – it shouldn't be so complicated, though, and hopefully we well, can figure that out. Well, hemophilia is tough, though. It's, yeah. it's such a difficult disease. I know. Um, uh, incredible stuff. Uh, you were listening to Bloomberg Markets on Bloomberg Radio. This is Bloomberg. <laughs> 